Latino Americans' purchasing power hit $3.4 trillion in 2021, according to a report from the Latino Donor Collaborative, and are expected to account for over one-third of growth in apparel spending in the next five years, as predicted in the 2021 Claritas Hispanic Market Report. Latinas are largely in control of household spending, yet they are underrepresented in leadership positions at the places they shop. But there are women who are paving the way and working to create more upward mobility for fellow Latinas in fashion and retail. I see myself as a change maker who happens to use fashion as her vehicle. This is Sonia Smith-Kane, designer and founder of Mixed Up Clothing, a multicultural kids' clothing line. Today, we'll hear how she learned to navigate the complicated world of retail. Then I sit down with Sandra Campos, an executive and entrepreneur with over 20 years' experience in the fashion industry. We talk about how she found her voice as a leader and the ways in which she's creating opportunities for Latinas to do the same. I was seeing a lot of Latinas, they were scaling businesses, doing incredible profitability, but nobody knew about them. I said, okay, we've got to do something about this. Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and we're telling the stories of individuals working to drive change within their communities. We provide context about systemic inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. Folks do say, what a difference, critical care nursing to starting a business. But I tap into my nursing skills every day. I'm triaging. I'm prioritizing. I'm delegating. This is Sonia Smith-Kang, a registered nurse turned founder. Today, she's busy running her children's apparel company, Mixed Up Clothing. But when Sonia met her husband over a decade ago, she had family on her mind. Just like folks have a business plan, my husband and I had a family plan. My husband is Korean-American. I myself identify as Afro-Latina, and we talked about the products we were going to bring into our home. We knew we were going to have foods and artwork and music that kind of reflected this multiculturalism of our family. But when it came to finding fun, everyday kids' clothing that told the story of their heritage, Sonia couldn't find anything that fit the bill at popular retailers. So, equipped with a lifetime of sewing experience, she took it upon herself to create the clothes she wanted her children to wear. I knew I had to do something. I went downtown here in Los Angeles to our garment district and sourced some fabrics that showed different aspects of our culture, whether it was Asian-inspired prints, maybe it had Frida Kahlo on the fabric. So I would just turn them into fun little board shorts for my son or bloomer covers for their diapers. It was wonderful. Now, Sonia might have stopped there. But when she and her kids stepped outside wearing the homemade clothes, all eyes were on them. Folks would stop me on the street and then they would start to open up and talk about the different fabrics that were from their culture. 
if I ever had an aha moment, that was definitely it. It was not found in any boardroom. It was in the parks. It was in the street. Sonia experienced the power of clothing to connect and to help people be understood. She wanted other children to have the opportunity to see themselves in their clothes. And so slowly but surely, she took the steps to transform her hobby into a business. I found a team that was able to go from me and my idea to sketches, to a sample, to cut and sew, and having an actual inventory. Mixed Up Clothing was born. Sonia ethically sources fabric and trim from around the world to create colorful, one-of-a-kind designs that celebrate culture. From comfy girls' leggings that say hello in different languages to a screen-printed T-shirt teaching the ABCs of multicultural foods. There are some pieces that really tap into this part of me that I'm really proud of. I grew up in a home that spoke Spanish. We didn't learn A was for apple or B was for, you know, banana. So one of our screen print shirts will show A is for arroz con pollo, B is for baklava, C is for cannoli. From the beginning, Sonia wanted to reach as many customers as possible. So... She set her sights high. Large retail has always been a goal for me. I really wanted to give more folks access to mixed up clothing, learn about diverse cultures that we share this world with. How to get there? Wow, that was the challenge. Sonia tapped into the diagnostic skills she honed as a critical care nurse, starting with the goal of getting into a large retailer like Macy's and backing her way into the solution. I started asking, how do I find the decision makers behind large retailers? They really don't make it easy. So you really have to play detective. Each day I'd figure out through LinkedIn who the buyers were. From there, they told me, well, you have to present, you know, a line sheet. And I was like, oh, my goodness. The learning curve was steep. A line sheet will show what your product is, what sizes it comes in, how much it is. And there were many moments when Sonia could have thrown in the towel. There's startup fees that I did not expect. Structure, logistical, all those kind of things. From fulfilling order minimums to adopting technology in order to process large orders, scaling up can be expensive. But the biggest hurdle was getting buy-in in the first place. The challenge has been proving that if given the opportunity to have retail space, that there are folks that are looking for this. Knowing that the buyers may not come from that same understanding. There's so much work that you have to do in addition to just presenting your line sheets and saying, well, it's because the clothes are ethically sourced and they're cute and they're comfortable and it's quality fabric. You have to go in with why you. Sonia has seen the demand firsthand for her product on the street and in the parks. So, While it was intimidating in the beginning, 
once she reframed her thinking around the buyer-wholesaler relationship, her confidence grew. It's really a conversation. And the moment I, I switched and said that these were partnerships that we were building, I started to kind of relax and say, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I'd like to do. And I hope you'd come along with me on that. Sonia's hard work paid off. Today, mixed-up clothing is carried in three large retailers and counting. And while Sonia is driven to keep expanding the product line, she has a bigger vision for the brand. It's more than clothes. We're trying to change the face of fashion. It's always been about storytelling. It's always been about the education, representation. I want to be a reflection of what the world looks like. Twelve years after Mixed Up Clothing's initial launch, Sonia's four children have long outgrown the first prototypes. But Sonia remains dedicated to her life's work. I knew I was strong, but boy, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, you wake up with, oh my goodness, how do I make this happen today? I could go back to nursing anytime, but this helps also satisfy my mission in life, which is celebrating culture. I just happen to be doing it one stitch at a time. As Mixed Up Clothing continues to grow, Sonia wants to share her platform with others. To that end, a Mixed Up Marketplace is in the works. There, folks who are intentional about raising children in a multicultural environment will be able to find books, toys, and other goods made by creators of color. Our next guest is devoted to creating clearer pathways for more Latina leaders, like Sonia, to make their mark in the fashion retail industry. Sandra Campos is an executive, board member, and entrepreneur whose career has touched nearly every facet of retail, from working the shop floor to the CEO seat at Diane von Furstenberg. Today, she's developing Fashion Launchpad, an education tech platform that gives individuals working in fashion and retail the skills to move up in the industry. She's also the co-founder of Latina Disruptors, an annual networking event amplifying Latina founders. Both ventures fulfill Sandra's goal of providing more opportunities for exceptional untapped talent to excel. Sandra Campos, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Carla. I'm so happy to be here with you. All right, let's jump right in. Now, you've had quite the journey in the fashion industry over the last 20 plus years, from working on the corporate side to pursuing entrepreneurial ventures. So let's take it back to the beginning. Well, having parents that were entrepreneurs certainly impacted me. I am first-generation Mexican. My parents are immigrants, and they moved to the States without having too much of an education. My father didn't make it past the sixth grade, and so they were really entrepreneurs out of necessity. We went to an uncle's family to learn the tortilla factory business and moved from El Paso to Dallas to start their own factory. I was working at a very young age. You know, if I talk about supply chain, I literally was at the back of the warehouse packing up boxes, getting onto trucks. I, I was on the line packing tortillas, counting them, zipping them, putting them in boxes, etc. 
I actually really enjoyed it and it always stuck with me. So for me, I didn't necessarily want to work in a tortilla factory, but I certainly understood the hard work that would be required of me to be able to get out and find my own path and to be able to figure out what my next trajectory would be. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how those early experiences of working influence you as an executive. For example, I think about my first W-2 job was McDonald's. And before then, I was working with my grandmother in her business, which was also a customer-centric business. And you learn a few things. The customer is always right. You learn how to listen very well. And you become oriented towards making sure that you deliver for your customer. And I think about who I am as an investment banker and all of the above still apply. It's true. I think also humility comes into place, Amen. right? No question. So now fast forward, after you've set the goal to become a fashion CEO, what steps did you take to put yourself on that right path? Well, I didn't have anyone that had been in the fashion industry. So I had to figure it out on my own. And I looked at the CEOs that were out in the market and I said, well, how'd they get there? So I could look and see if it was a retailer, they had gone through retail training programs, merchandising, buying, going into GMMs, being in stores, et cetera. And if it was on the wholesale side, it was really starting up from sales and then layering on planning and merchandising and other components of the industry to where you ultimately ended up having full responsibility of the business. Yeah, I tell you, that's a major playbook point. If there's something that you aspire to and you're not quite sure how to get there, doing the research and the work on those who are already in those seats, understanding their journey, what the steps were, the barriers to entry, I think is a valuable point. Now, when I think about you as CEO of Diane von Furstenberg or DVF, it also occurs to me that you've had a predisposition towards continuous learning. And how did that help you as you stepped into that CEO seat at DVF? Not only continuous learning, you know, my mother started that for me because she was always going and getting an additional degree, night school, after work, all the time. But I also believe it was the ability and the desire to pivot, the ability and the desire to take a risk and mm -hmm. learn more. So going into DVF as a CEO there, it was definitely about looking at and understanding what and who the customer was. What did they expect from the company? And now it's an overused word, but very much it's still an important word, which is community. We had to go back and figure out who is the community? What do they want? What do we need to give them? So with that, you know, I brought in Daniela Pearson, who was the founder of the Newsette. She was 23 years old at the time. And I had found her online and realized that she had a group of millennial women that she was targeting through the Newsette newsletter. And I said, I need you to come in here and do the same thing for us with DVF. She came in and we created the Weekly Wrap, which was a newsletter highlighting and featuring women in charge. I believe that it gave me more of an openness and willingness to learn from anyone. And so rather than being dictatorial in anything, mm -hmm. it was more about let's open this up to those that know more, those that are more connected with culture today that was going to get us to our end goals. Yeah, well, that's a powerful playbook message because being able to leverage somebody else's superpower and incorporate and be the kind of person that is inviting, that people want to now stand next to you uh, because you value what they have, that is a great unlock. No question about it.
So let me uh, change gears here and say women are overrepresented in terms of their employment in retail and fashion, but underrepresented when it comes to C-suite leadership positions. The divide is even wider when it comes to Latinas. So why are you so passionate about working to close this gap? Well, there's 52 million people that work in retail. And of that, there's actually 14% that are Latinos. And there's only 1% of Latinos on boards. And there's less than 4% leadership positions. We've got a long way to go. We don't have a lot of people that look like us. The numbers reflect that we have 65 million Latinos in this country today. We have a $3 trillion GDP. We're going to contribute across the board. We are a younger cohort and we'll be the predominant consumer in the next 10 years. So as a business, why wouldn't you want to pay attention to that? And also as a business leader, why wouldn't you want to have that inclusive nature of understanding what and who can help you impact the future of that business for those consumers. So to me, that means understanding what the culture is. But in terms of where we can actually help to accelerate, it's providing access, knowledge, but also giving people the voice and the ability to raise your hand and ask the questions. To be able to be open and hear what people at all levels are experiencing that might help influence your initiatives, your objectives, some of your strategies going forward. I think it's really important to do that. Again, it goes back to just the plain numbers when you think about how many Latinos are in this country today and what they're going to represent. 85% of Latina women in a home make the decisions. So why not understand that for your business? Because they are the ones that are going to be ringing the register. No question about it. So how would you like to see this consumer empowered within the industry? Well, I think there's two parts to that. One is on the designer side, to be able to bring in Latin American designers who have the sensibility. You've seen Farm Rio, probably it's a huge brand, and that's from Brazil. The nature of the culture, I think, is really important. There's so much of that that can actually be influenced and impacted by the design talent that comes out of Latin America, etc. There's Estefania Lacayo. And Estefania is Nicaraguan. She lives in Miami and she created Latin American Fashion Summit originally as an event series. But what she's done is she's bringing Latin American design talent, not just in fashion apparel, but also accessories. And now it's coming into production manufacturers as well to where they have access to U.S. retailers. One of them, Keika Vargas, had a very small under a million dollar business and was able to get into Target and became one of Target's designer collaborations and had obviously accessibility to a lot more consumers that way and grew her business exponentially. And then the second part in terms of the consumers is being able to speak to them and include them and involve them in a brand. So thinking through assortment, thinking through messaging, thinking through what the employee base looks like so that it's serving the customers that they support, and then also doing it holistically so that you're supporting manufacturers from from Central and South America, you're supporting the design talent, and therefore it becomes much more of a connection for that Latino consumer that you're referencing now. Mm-hmm. So now a 2018 report by the Census Bureau said that Latinos are overrepresented in the retail workforce. And according to a 2022 survey by McKinsey, almost 50 percent of frontline retail employees and two thirds of retail managers said they planned on leaving within the next couple of months. We talked about the customers. So now how do you keep the employees to serve those customers? 
Well, one is continual education so that somebody doesn't just get siloed into a specific job and they want to grow. They have the ability to grow and learn just like anybody else does, but we need to give those opportunities for growth and for learning. Fashion Launchpad, actually, the reason that I started that was because of the calls that I was getting from people looking to pivot from their roles within the retail industry and needing to learn more outside of their specific area of expertise. And those stories made me realize that we've not done a very good job of training and development. We used to be able to bring people in at the store level. And myself, I worked in stores. I worked in stores the first three years of my career. I was working across the country, merchandising product, folding product. You have to understand the customer. But you also need to give them a roadmap. So Fashion Launchpad is a masterclass of sorts within the retail industry that brings together executives who can help educate others on every single topic within the industry from design all the way through logistics and production, manufacturing, et cetera. Sounds like Fashion Launchpad is going to be incredibly successful. So tell us about your annual event, Latina Disruptors, and how does it help create more opportunities for Latin innovators? What I was seeing several years ago was a lot of Latinas, they weren't getting the access to capital which we know happens for women in general, but also they were scaling businesses, doing incredible profitability, but nobody knew about them, even within our own community. I said, okay, we've got to do something about this. So I created a group called Latina Disruptors, which essentially is an event series to bring together entrepreneurs, capital resources, and media. And two years later, we've created this peer-to-peer community of CEOs and founders who are just wanting to be the best CEOs that they can be. They are innovative and disruptive in their industries. They're raising capital. We invite capital providers, as I mentioned before, across the landscape, but we also invite other C-suite executives because we want to make sure that people have the ability to have board members and advisors. So what's come out of this now is that we have peers who can actually rely on each other, who feel the trust and the non-judgment. They will ask questions about, do you know so-and-so for investment? I need a bridge round. What can you tell me or who can you connect me to for X, Y, or Z? We've had three LOIs. We've had two investments. We've had board members that have joined these companies. We've had collaborations across. And it wasn't something that I expected, but I feel so fulfilled because what's happening is that we're sourcing these incredible entrepreneurs who a lot of whether it's institution or VC, private equity, et cetera, they just don't have the ability or the time to go out and source them themselves. So we're finding these sometimes undiscovered entrepreneurs who are doing things that are unbelievable. Yes. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about visibility and exposure, because so often that is the key. You know, we start to delve into things that we have seen or that we've heard about. And if you can't get on the air or you can't get in print, nobody knows about you. It makes it even harder to raise that capital. So well done. Earlier in this episode, we heard from the founder of Mixed Up Clothing, a multicultural clothing line for kids. What kind of support networks would you like to see in place outside of specific events for entrepreneurs like Sonia? In order for us to scale across the country to provide those resources, ideally it is that platform. That's hopefully what I'm working for for 2024 is to be able to provide an online platform where these entrepreneurs can go and find those resources, be able to have those not only mentorships, but peer-to-peer relationships where they can find trusted resources that then can help them scale their businesses and learn where to pivot if they need to 
because, you know, it's not a linear line. So having that board of advisors through this platform will be something that I hope to be able to accomplish. That would be tremendous. As we get towards the end of this conversation, when you look at the beginnings of your career in the business of fashion, what are some of the biggest differences between the fashion industry that you entered into and the one that exists today? There's so many differences. We, first of all, didn't have that many women that were in the C-suite. So it was a lot more competitive. We weren't sharing as much and there weren't communities like what exists today. So we didn't have a lot of those types of resources and on-demand learning wasn't really there. It was a long line to be able to get to the top. Today's generation isn't accepting that, right? Because guess what? They can make a lot of money online. They can do a lot of things through opportunities and websites online that, that can actually get them certain places faster. No question. And how can creators of color better prepare themselves to enter today's fashion industry? At any age, at any level, whether it's the boardroom, which I'm doing today, whether it's as a C-suite executive or, or you're starting at different levels of your career, know that you have a voice and that voice is incredibly important, no matter what anyone does, to shut it down and find those that will help prop it up because that's who you need around you. You need the mentors, the sponsors, and the coaches, all three in your life. Yeah, I could not concur more. Sandra Campos, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Carla. This was fun. I appreciate it. Big fun. I want to thank both Sonia Smith-Kang and Sandra Campos for joining me on this episode of Access and Opportunity. What did you think of today's episode? Send us your thoughts at msivg at morganstanley.com. And to continue learning about individuals working to drive systemic change within their communities, subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along. <laughs>